Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Hello there. Welcome to another program. March is marching right along. It's the 29th. And although uh, we were basking in global warming temperatures over the last few days, see, I'm doing the weather thing again. Blame it on the fact that, you know, I started my broadcasting career as a weekend weather girl. That's what we were called um, on television. So, and by the way, knowing absolutely nothing about weather, zero. This was in the uh, time in television when weather was not uh, treated as it is now. Now it is, they know, a huge draw. Although less of one when people have apps on their phones than it used to be. But uh, no, weather was for a little eye candy, having some, you know, buxom blonde babe up at a map. You know, you know who was it? She just died this year. Why am I blanking? God, why am I blanking? Oh, come on. Uh, the uh, One of the first women in television in Pittsburgh. Come on, somebody help me here. I knew her. I mean, my God, this is what happens when your brain starts uh, literally drying up. Anyway, she, she, it'll come to me at some point when it's totally off the subject. But she once had to do, she was a weather girl too, and she really fit the blonde babe aspect of it. I certainly never did. She actually did weather in Pittsburgh lying on a mattress in a negligee because she was doing a spot for a mattress company at the same time. God! Unbelievable. I'm sorry. I had no intention of talking about any of that. Um, uh, okay, so... Last week, I really danced around uh, some of the heavier news stories because I just couldn't. And um, I find myself today a little more capable. So um, for those of you who are real uh, news junkies, that will be good news, I guess, that will slog into some some of the more uh, political stories that uh, I was avoiding, uh, like the plague. Boy, that's a turn of phrase that will never feel the same again, right? Being in the midst of one. Okay, so I read something uh, in the Washington Post. You, You see how I did start that sentence with, so there you go. It's one of my pet peeves and I do it myself. But the amount of time that Democrats have to get their agenda done is so quickly disappearing. I, time, I mean, we've been through one year of pandemic. If you think about it, it went pretty fast. But maybe it didn't for you. The older you get, as you know, time just keeps ratcheting up its speed or seeming to. So the Democrats barely control the House of Representatives. The last election in which we happily threw out Donald Trump, we did not pick up any seats in the House. In fact, we lost seats. So that Democrats now have only, what is it? I'm thinking it's only like a six or seven vote uh, cushion now in the, uh, anyway, it is tight. Not as tight as the 50-50 thing going on in the Senate. Oh, it's nine seats. I just saw it here. Yeah. 
The Democrats have a nine-seat majority. Okay. What I read that I found so disquieting was that Republicans think that they're going to take back the House next year. Next year, guys, 22. And you know what? It's a it's a pretty safe bet. Because we know that traditionally the midterm election is when the party that's in power loses seats. Barack Obama, the first time he hit a midterm, he lost 63 seats in 2010. That was huge. Imagine that. 63-seat turnover from Democrat to Republican. Trump lost 40 seats in 2018, thus giving Nancy Pelosi back the speaker's gavel. Well, maybe she had it anyway. I can't keep track of all of this stuff. But see, here's the thing. And this is always the thing. Republicans control the vast majority of state legislatures, about two-thirds of them. Mm -hmm. And guess what's happening this year? Yeah, redistricting. So all of those Republican legislators and legislatures are going to gerrymander and redistrict their states, ensuring that Democrats will have a much harder time hanging on to the seats they have, and Republicans will be able to kind of draw the kind of boundaries that can probably easily flip the House. So it's something, I mean, I hate to start out with such a stink bomb on a sunny Monday, but we got to get something done here. Here's a number that should curl your hair or straighten it if it's already curly. Republicans will be drawing the boundaries for 181 of the congressional districts in this country. You know how many Democrats are going to get to fiddle with? <laughs> uh, 74. Less than half. Fewer than half. Uh-oh. Hoist on her own petard. Anyway. So this is scary. So it is conceivable that we'll lose the House. Nancy Pelosi will not be the speaker. The noxious Kevin McCarthy of California would likely rise to be the Speaker of the House. Astonishingly, the Senate looks like an easier thing for Democrats to not only hold, but maybe pick up a seat or two, but will not have control of the legislative branch as we do now for a year and a half. If we don't seriously restrict that filibuster thing, we're not going to get anything done. And the one person standing in the way of that is Joe Manchin. Man alive. God almighty. So anyway, I'm I'm just I'm just telling you that um we need to what? <laughs> we we need to wring our hands and tear our hair, beat our breasts and howl into the wind. That's scary. And there's nothing it's a done deal because Democrats don't pay attention to state offices like in this state. Good God. You know what's happening in this state right now? Republican controlled, except for, well, we got a governor right now, but 
who knows? That could change too. And I understand there's a bill making its way or proposed, I don't know what state it's in, in Harrisburg, where Republicans are in control. This is the kind of bills that Republicans do. First of all, they're they're licking their chops to gerrymander the hell out of the state, which they've already gerrymandered umpteen times. Uh, and Republicans never, ever really deal with policy. I've talked about this a million times. You don't see them introducing bills, you know, to help people trying to, struggling to live their lives. That's what Democrats do. Republicans uh, pass bills to uh, punish poor people and to further enrich the rich. That's what they do. That is what they do. And that's really not much policy. It's tax policy. That's the only thing they really get into much. Um, and then reg regulatory stuff. We can't regulate all those poor corporations. So in Harrisburg, apparently there's some bill that would make it a, a real crime, a possible seven-year sentence if you were to spit at a cop. I'm just telling you. Now, this typical Republican crap. They'll pass it. Is this a big issue? <laughs> this is the kind of thing Republicans spend their time on. We have got to stop this unbelievable pandemic of cops spitting. So, yeah, that's what they do. They do nothing but waste time sort of lathering up and whipping up their their base and their media uh, about stuff like this. Oh, there's another one that I read about today again. Uh, they're falling all over themselves, all these Republican state legislatures, first of all, to make uh, uh, voting while black more and more and more difficult, as you know. And they're also Eleanor Shano. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Barbara. Thank you, Art. Eleanor Shano. I said it would pop up and take me off track. Now, where was I? Uh, who the hell was I? Oh, the kind of things Republicans do. So one of the things they're doing now in all these Republican-controlled legislatures, which is the vast majority, again, of state legislatures. So when we say the Republican Party is, you know, is dying, demographics show, it's as good as dead. It sure don't look like it's dying when you look at the states, does it? No, it's in control. So they're now doing a really, really important work on trying to make voting more difficult, um, uh, making sure that the epidemic of people spitting on cops uh, ceases. And, uh, oh yeah, and here's the other one. They're going, they're all of a sudden so concerned about women's sports. Now, I have news for you. Republicans have never been concerned about women's sports. Because, <laughs> you know, there's, they'd be, well, because, you know, they're Republican. Women? Sports? What? Not interested. All of a sudden, they're, they're interested. They're interested because they heard that a lot of guys, I guess, are going to become women. <laughs> they are. They're just going to say, oh, I see a chance here. I'm going to say I'm a woman. And I'm going to get on the woman's track team because God knows I can't win much in the men. And I'm going to blow them away. So the GOP is falling all over themselves to pass bills that would not allow transgender athletes to be on a team. 
And, you know, when they're thinking of this, they're not thinking so much of trans boys or men. They're thinking only of trans women because there they see that there would be an advantage to a trans woman over a woman who at birth was female. Well, I've talked about this before and said, you know, on, you know, the sort of a blushing, passing kind of uh, scrutiny, which means not much. There would be, yeah, I can see where, yeah, if you had like uh, sort of more testosterone and stuff, that might give you an advantage or something. But these Republicans are freaking out over this. And they are, they're going to keep trans kids from being able to be on sports teams. Megan Rapinoe, the, the great uh, soccer player, Olympic gold medalist, uh, World Cup champ, um, and very outspoken woman wrote an op-ed in the, uh, I think, the Washington Post, talking about how important sports were to her as a child and saying how important it, it is for so many children, giving them direction, giving them, uh, you know, a feeling of belonging, giving them the ability to, to learn things and grow, all of this stuff so important, and, and, and she's just repelled by the idea of these Republicans deciding that they're going to cut, cull this subset of children, their children, subset of them, and say, you, though, cannot play. The suicide rate and the attempted suicide rate among transgender youth is high as hell. So this won't help. But I want to share just one or two sentences, two sentences of what Megan Rapinoe wrote, because this is it in a nutshell. She calls out the GOP for doing what they always do, which is solving a problem that doesn't exist. That's what they do. That's what they just did in Georgia, where they just had apparently the cleanest election ever. It's just that the Republicans didn't like the outcome. So they decided to solve this problem that doesn't exist. The Republicans in Harrisburg that are now about to potentially put someone in jail for seven years if they spit at a police officer. Granted, not a nice thing to do, but... Seven years? Again, solving a problem that doesn't exist. And Rapinoe says this. They're doing it again. They're solving a problem that doesn't exist. Transgender kids want the opportunity to play sports for the same reasons other kids do. To be a part of a team where they feel like they belong. Proponents of these bills, the Republicans, argue that they are protecting women. <laughs> As a woman, she writes, who has played sports my entire life, I know that the threats to women's sports and girls' sports are not trans kids. The threats 
to women's and girls sports are lack of funding, resources, media coverage, sexual harassment, and unequal pay. None of which Republicans give a damn about. And in fact, invariably will fight against efforts to deal with those real <laughs> problems. Oh, dear Lord. And I'm just telling you, that bunch could take over in a year and a half, about a little more. Just saying. Time is uh, is of the the essence. Okay. Well, so that was a few heavy little things. Um, so let me just for a minute take a little break. What do they say? Like, I'll, let's cleanse our palates. Let's have a little sorbet in between courses so that we're not getting too freaked. I spoke not too long ago about um, well, you know, I love words and I, I love language <clears throat> and I love, I don't love what, um, well, I've talked myself into a corner here. I I was thinking about the courage and bravery of people who come to this country not knowing English. A friend told me the other day of a woman that she met in grad school, I think here at Pitt, a woman from China who came here and she didn't speak English and she was heading in five months or something into a you know, a, a graduate program here, which is taught in English. And my friend watched as this woman just hit the books. And damn if she didn't take the courses and pass, get her degree. The kind of courage of immigrants who leave everything they know and head into who knows what. I mean, we all can look, I would imagine, at forebears. Some of us don't go too far back. I have grandparents who were immigrants. The courage it takes to leave your homes, to travel halfway around the world, often not under the greatest circumstances, not knowing really what it is you're heading into, not knowing the language, not knowing the customs, only knowing that you are determined and that you'll have a chance. One of the reasons I always thought that if America was exceptional in a positive way, it is that we are a country made up of such people. We are a country made up of the bravest, the hardest working, the people who dared to do what immigrants do. We are not a country made up of people who were afraid because these immigrants, even if they are afraid, overcome their fear. So I always thought that America, just by virtue of being a nation of immigrants, sort of got the best pool of genetic input, of, of, of we got the pick of the litter. Again, tell that to the Republicans. It's just amazing how one group of people can be so wrong so often. It's just mind-blowing. Anyway, so 
I, I bring all this up because the people who have this courage and then come here and then have to learn our language, is it possible to try to imagine what it would be like to try to learn English as an adult? Hmm? And I think it must be one of the toughest languages. I don't know. I mean, I never had to learn it as an adult. I got it through osmosis. I can't imagine how tough that would be. Let's just, okay, you start with the word tough. Did I just say tough? All right, you're learning English. You're trying to read something, and all of a sudden you bump into T-O-U-G-H. You're going to say tough? No. I don't know what you're going to say, because it looks like the most absurd grouping of letters imaginable. What? And so there's tough, there's enough. (laughs) They don't make no sense. How do people learn our language? Let's just do the numbers. One of the first things you learn when you learn, um, I mean, I can count to 10 in a lot of languages, I think. I think. What's after seven? I can't remember. Uh-oh. Uh, you know, you learn, you can do those. Think of it, you know, in the United States, you're in the United States, you're there, you're trying to learn one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. You're trying, you can learn it in your, try to spell it, write it down. Let's start with one. One is spelled O-N-E. What? How's that one? I'm asking. It looks like own, right? All right, you get past one somehow. All right, I'll take it, uh, you know, okay, O-N-E is one. Like W-O-N? <laughs> I guess. And then you bump into two. What? It looks like two. Now, I guess three, once you've been introduced to TH, and the three, four, five, six, seven, make somewhat sense, but then we hit eight. And I'm sorry, there's that darn GH again, and on top of it, an E and an I, and a who knows what. I mean, I got to tell you, anyone. And there's so many of them amongst us who masters this language. In fact, all over the world, they master this language. How the hell do they do this? We're Americans. We barely know our own language. We are, when it comes to language, we are the dumbest people on earth. And think of the word dumb. What the hell is that B doing at the end? Like lamb. What is that? Should. Why should there be an ah, an L? Excuse me. Why should there be an L in should? Do you pronounce should? Good God. I, it's just, I, it's like, and okay, I got one more. Okay. You got one goose here. And if you have another goose who comes by, you then have not two gooses, you have two geese. However, if you have a moose over here and then another moose wanders by, you would assume, of course, that you have meese, but you do not because nothing in English makes a damn bit of sense. I just needed to say it. Oh, dear God. 
Henry writes, if Democrats only have until January 2023, well, we really, January 2023 is when the changeover happens. We have only until November, early November of 22. That's when the election is, right? But you're right. We would, but we'd have a lame, I don't know. We, uh, yeah, technically you're right, Henry. Sorry, I'll back away. Then Democrats are going to have to fight fire with fire, he says. I agree. Don't think for a minute that Mitch McConnell wouldn't kill the filibuster. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) We have to find a way to do it. And don't think for a minute that Republicans wouldn't rule by executive order if they had to do it. So Democrats have to use the executive order, even if the orders are temporary. Democrats need to learn to bully the bullies. We don't fight dirty enough. Well, I'll tell you one thing. Um, yeah, we're always fought, uh, fighting by the uh, you know Queensbury rules. <laughs> and the Republicans are, you know, always bringing brass knuckles and, you know, nunchucks. Um, and I think we've learned that lesson. I, it looks to me like Biden has certainly learned it, I think. We'll see, won't we? I have a caller. I'm sorry, I didn't know I did, Amy, and it just popped up on my, it, very late. Is the caller still there? Hello? Hello, Lynn, it's Dave from Washington. Dave, thank you for your staying power. I don't know how long you've been hanging there. Uh, about five minutes or so. Um, immigrants coming in and speaking English. Now, you were talking about the lady going to a, a doctorate's program or some graduate program. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. that's all fine and dandy, but most immigrants coming into the country aren't going to graduate school. And I am not one of those who says, you're in America, so learn English. I'm not one of those assholes. But I process people all the time from in their immigration status. And green cards. To have a permanent resident card, you have to have been here for a long time. And if you have a permanent resident card and you've been here that long, you should know at least some of some English. Enough English where you can get along well in your community. And it's amazing how many don't. They I, I have to they have to have an interpreter with them for simple things like you know, write down today's date right here. Answer these three simple questions right here. Sign. It's going to be $30.50 or what have you. And they don't do it. They, they, they don't know the language well enough for a simple conversation. And again, I'm not one of those. You're in America to so speak English, blah, 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 blah. Are these, wanna, wait a minute, though. Are, are these you young people? No. Are these relatively young people? No. These are, these are like the parent class. But that's the class that often didn't. You know, how many of us had grandparents that were immigrants who who spoke their language in the house and barely handled anything out of the house, right? My my grandparents came over and didn't speak a word of the language, but they learned it. They have learned it well enough because they're living here now. If I were to move to Mexico, and the thought has certainly crossed my mind, I would try to learn enough Mexican, Mexican, <laughs> Spanish. <laughs> I would try to learn. Wait, 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 wait. That reminds me. Wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. That reminds me. Who is the president who said <laughs> when he was going off to Latin America that he didn't know how to oh, speak Latin? Yeah. I mean, no, yeah. seriously. Seriously. Sounds like okay. Bush, but. Um, I'm trying to help you there. Okay. Yeah, I got you. I got you. Now, if I was to do that, I would certainly learn enough of the language that I could go to the grocery store and buy things. I could go to a restaurant and order food and, and have at least enough understanding of what they're saying <clears throat> and enough yeah. that, I, that they can understand me. It's just, just it's going to make your life a lot easier. Now, when my grandparents came over, they did not lo- they did not know a single word of English. But they learned it, and the whole thing was, of course, their kids must learn English. That's going to be their primary language. Even that is not necessarily true anymore. I see a lot of these people, their interpreters are their kids. And you could tell yeah. for the kids, English is their poor second language. And well, these are kids that are born in the yeah. United States. They're born in the but United you know, States. Look at, 
look at Pittsburgh. Look at all the ethnic enclaves here. I mean, it's not so much the case now, but when I first came to Pittsburgh, I thought it was so unbelievable that if I walked down the street in Bloomfield and all those old Italian guys were standing on the corner, they're all talking Italian. Right. They're talking Italian to one another. Polish but, Hill. They're talking Polish. But then they go to the grocery store and they speak English. And I'll tell you, this is, this is my observation because I see, these, I see folks a lot. It is primarily the Hispanic population in town who does not speak English very well. Um, and again, I see them all. I see everybody. You know what I do. You know what my job is. And I see everybody in, in this town. Um, and it is primarily the Hispanics who come and they don't speak English hardly at all, let alone poorly. Now, their kids speak both. But even so though these are. Have, these are these documented are, documented immigrants. These are that's people what, with that's my job is to run their immigration status. Yes, to find okay. their eligibility for various for various okay. um, um, entitlements. And now their kids have U.S. birth certificates, so they're born here. But you can tell their primary language at home is Spanish, Spanish and their sure. Spanish and their secondary language at home they don't is is English, and they probably learn more of that going to school and interacting with other kids. Then they learn, oh, you know, sure. at home, and the parents oh, don't seem to, But they don't seem to, the parents don't seem to show any interest in learning it, which is what I don't understand. Because from other cultures, they do. You come in. I had a guy from Albania, and he was struggling to learn English. That's great, Albania. Yeah, we're right. How many Albanians are there? Um, so. Europeans and Asians, they do tend to try to learn the language. But the Hispanic people, for some reason, the older ones don't. And they've got green cards. They're not, it's not like they've only been here for a little while. They've been here long enough to get permanent residency. They passed whatever they had to do to get that. And I'm not passing any judgment on them. But I've noticed it over the years. And I've never quite understood, learn enough language that you can go to the grocery store and, you know, carry on your business. It's going to be better for you. Out in Arizona, when I lived out in Arizona, you better know some Spanish. Or otherwise, yeah. every other store you go to, you're not going to have any idea what, you know, what they're saying to you and what you're saying to them. And certainly if you're doing business out there, you see these businesses that say American or English only, no Spanish. Well, when you do that, what you're doing is you're cutting off half of your customers. It, it behooves you to learn a little bit of the language that's dominant in your area, whatever it is, especially if you're a businessman. So you can do more business with these people. So, you know, it's just something I've noticed. I don't quite understand it. Well, Although, it could also be, I don't know either, but it could also be that you, you, you stay within your, when you're first here, your own group, your segregated group, right? right. So you're sort of able, in as much as you're able to just, continue with the language that you dream in and, and uh, you know, you've always known and that you're most fluent in. I mean, one of the things that would drive me crazy in doing a second language is, I mean, I value the ability to, you know, communicate through words, to speak, but I'll, I would never be as fluent in another language. I would never be as able to say what no. I want to say. Right. So, I mean, it could just be that, you know, I don't, I, I just don't know. Well, but I think that problem is gone after a generation. Uh, Americans don't know second languages very much because if you live in Europe or something, you drive 100 miles away from where you live. Yeah, and they're right. Speaking they, they do. Yeah. Right. In the United States, mm -hmm. you know, there's different dialects and different drawls and stuff. But, but uh, yeah, it's very interesting. So, okay. anyway, just so, let me throw that at you. Because they're not Thank all coming you. over and learning English as the second language they go to graduate school. They're just coming over here to oh. live. And a lot of them, for some reason, aren't learning the language. But, okay. Well, okay. that'll keep them back. Thank you. All right, now. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye. It's always good to hear from you. Uh, Delena says, your discussion about English reminds me of this bit from I Love Lucy. Lucy has Ricky read a bedtime story to prepare for for their baby. Being Cuban, he messes up every word spelled with O-U-G-H. <laughs> oh, that's great. Because in English, it's pronounced 50 different ways. Yeah, it is. Like it's 
bought, rough. Those are all, yeah. But bow, wait, wait. I'm trying to think. Cough, O U G H, thought. It can be a whole bunch of, you're right. Next to Welsh and Chinese, English has got to be one of the most difficult languages to learn. I would have, yeah. And yet, more people um, seem to speak it and learn it. I mean, you've got people who aren't American speaking it better, <clears throat> excuse me, than a lot of <clears throat> natives <laughs> do. Uh, Brooke writes, uh, talk about solving problems that don't exist. How about denying water? Jeez, I told you about this before they passed it, when it was still just a glimmer in the cruel Republican heart. I said, and I didn't even believe it when I said, they got a bill and they're not going to allow anyone to give somebody waiting on a hot day in line for seven, eight, nine hours, which is not unusual in certain parts of Georgia. They would not allow somebody to be given a glass of water. Talk about solving problems that don't exist. How about denying water to voters? Apparently, Georgia wants voters to drop dead before they reach. Well, sure. They want them to be so thirsty or, or, or that, that they give up and they go home. That's, that, this is all about making it so hard for them especially for the older ones, that they just go. And Georgia, Brooke writes, has now put restrictions on absentee voting, early voting, and they have changed the processes for counting votes. If, if this law had been in place before the 2020 election, Democrats likely would not have flipped the state. Well, that's the whole point. Hopefully the courts will step in and help with those voter suppression laws. Well, I don't know, because if it heads to the Supreme Court, it is the Supreme Court under Roberts that eviscerated the Voting Rights Act years ago. Said, oh, that was then. That was in the 60s. There's no problem now. These states don't try to suppress the vote. Jim Crow's over. That was the Roberts Court before it even was as conservative as it is now. Oh, Barbara sent me something from, oh, God. This is so unbelievable. A university in Italy has decided that its degree courses, all of its graduate courses, will now be taught and assessed entirely in English. This is a university in Italy? Oh, dear. Says here, the waters of globalization are rising around higher education. And the university in Italy believes that if it remains Italian speaking, it risks isolation. Yeah, they're, everybody's trying to attract students from all over the place. Wow, that's interesting. And so there's an assumption and an understanding that everybody speaks English. How the hell? I just can't imagine. My brother um, uh, teaches um, or gives lectures around the world. And um, he often is blown away. It's not like, you know, he goes to Slovenia. He doesn't give his lecture in Slovenia. He gives his lecture in English. They invite him, knowing full well he'll be speaking in English. And everybody in the auditorium is taking it all in. I find my brother's lectures difficult to follow. And as I said, I'm a native English speaker. And these Slovenians and the and the Norwegians and the other people where he goes, the Germans, they, they just... They get it. I believe I have another caller. Hello. Good morning, Lynn. Uh, Ray from Lawrenceville. How are you? 
Hi, Ray. I'm fine. Good. Hey, the language thing is fascinating. It's it's sort of a hobby of mine. Um, hmm. And I don't think we appreciate while we, we do all this, how, how amazing the fact that any child born right. anywhere can be yeah. put anywhere and never fails to learn the language uh, okay. that it's surrounded by. Um, a baby from Papua New Guinea taken away as a child and put in Mongolia will learn that language with with ease. So, yeah. you know, uh, Chomsky saw this and said that there's he called up called it a universal grammar, but he suggested, and they're pretty much agreement now among the linguists that humans acquired a language acquisition um, ability that it's almost already in there. They just need to find the triggers and they learn the specific little idiosyncrasies huh. of any individual language. He suggested that if aliens came to earth, they wouldn't, you know, they would say it's all one language. You just have different vocabulary. They wouldn't see the differences in our language like we do, you know, right. which is an interesting way to think of it. And do you, know, you know what's interesting though? Hmm? But, you know, they keep the kids, uh, young kids who grow up, let's say in a bilingual situation. I know a few kids like that. They right. don't mix the two languages up. Either. No, no, no. He, it, it's an amazing, he called it um, the poverty of stimulus. He said that, with very little stimulus, the poverty of the stimulus, very little input, children acquire a incredibly complex language, all right? And once acquiring a little of it, they go on to seem to understand the rules without being explained to them, the rules. It's not like a computer program where you have to lay out all the rules. That's right. That's we right. humans acquire it in the same way that we acquire our visual capacity. So here's an example. They've, they've done this study with cats, and they, they project it on most, most humans. If you don't use your eyes for the first X number of months or years, and then suddenly they take bandages off the cat's eyes, the cat can never see. It doesn't get That's it right. later. And humans, there was one terrible case of this poor girl who was locked in a room yeah. as a child, and they threw food at her, and no one ever interacted with her. And they finally rescued her. She could not learn language because she had gone past that point of acquiring a language. So I am forgiving of older people, immigrants who fail to learn because I try to learn languages and I'm, I'm a terrible student of it Me as too. much as I love it. Me too. Uh, but, but I have to be forgiving of them because it's like asking them to see a color they can't see. Uh, it's harder for them. Uh, I admire the adults. I know some from Croatia who, who are doing wonderfully now as a, you know, who as adults learn English as a second language. But uh, the, I know, t you know, two from the same family, one could do it and one couldn't. It's a kind of a unique personal thing to be able to do it later in life. But as a child, no one fails to learn language. You never run into somebody who just, ah, he never learned how to speak, you know, unless there's yeah. a real di deep cognitive issue, right? Do you know, I once read a book by, Oliver Sacks, in which he told of a, <clears throat> it was a blind guy who'd lived blind all his life. And somehow uh, it was found that now that they could correct his sight and, and he mm -hmm. could see. And so he had a, the surgery. And well, yeah, but, it ruined, okay, it ruined his life. It yeah. ruined his life. So all of a sudden, he's his eyes are taking stuff in, and he can't really even make sense of what he's taking in with his vision. And he became just beside himself. Yeah, Couldn't I could imagine that it, yeah. it would be like a kaleidoscope. That's all he would see. Yeah. Just, yeah. just uh, you know, hallucinations. No. That you couldn't, you I, couldn't, yeah. You couldn't, you know, I'm looking at a chair. I see a chair. He would just see this thing because that's not the way his brain was wired anymore. He couldn't do it. No, but, but what's fascinating is there was another study that when the people like that were looking at a shape and they could not tell you what that shape was, 
But when they were walked over to it and put their hands on it, they immediately oh, knew yeah. for, for what it was. Right. Exactly right. Right. Exactly because right. It, so, so I, and one last thing, I, uh, there was a great book, uh, Professor Penny Baker, The Secret Life of Pronouns, and he talks about that there are, in our language, there are little stealth words, he called them, non-content words, um, prepositions, pronouns, those sort mm -hmm. of things, that you can tell a native speaker from a non-native speaker by those little errors, right? Those are the hardest mm -hmm. things to learn as a secondary language. Do they use the or an, or do they pluralize it correctly, or do they, you know, those mm -hmm. dealt with all, because those, those aren't, there's no content to them, right? There's no content. Right. Or so. idiomatic expressions are another oh, way, yes. right? Yes. But, but keep in mind that, that when we go to the English spelling, because I, I understand how frustrating this, but you <laughs> should see the Irish spelling, okay? That's even worse. Oh, okay? my God. Yeah, it's, it's impossible. And then Welsh impossible. makes the Irish look easy, Gaelic. Look right, and they're right? they're almost the same language. If you hear it spoken, if I, if I'm as a, I have some I have some Irish on me, so if I hear the the the, the Scottish Gaels talk and the Welsh Gael or the Welsh, it's a Gael, it's a Gaelic. Uh, the Welsh speak. You can you could probably hold your own in listening and getting directions or which door to use. But if it was written, oh no, it's there's zero chance, and that's well. Again, yeah. I, going back to going back to Chomsky, our language rules inside are different from our grammar rules outside. Like how you spell things. Uh, do you say he and I or he and me? And those he said are arbitrary. You know that that's that's stylish style. That's a style issue, but. Um, but yeah, I, I just want to go back and say, I'm but, going to forgive immigrants who are adults, especially okay. ones who don't have anyone to bounce it off of, right? That's a good point. But you know, you just okay. mentioned you, you'd be able to understand directions being given maybe. Um, do you know when I first came here to Pittsburgh, there were two mm -hmm. occasions when I stopped and asked someone for directions and just nodded my head as they <laughs> told me. I said, all I said, uh-huh, uh-huh. I did not understand a word. Uh, and they were speaking uh, I, English. I am not absolutely. kidding. Hey, listen, you go to Cork, Ireland, where, my, where I have family, and they have subtitles when they interview some Cork people uh, into English. Because, and they're speaking <laughs> English, not speaking Irish. I well, I a, remember saying, yeah. I was over there for a party, and there was a bunch of young, you know, pre-teens and teens who were laughing. They would have me say things and I would say them and he would laugh hilariously at my <laughs> pronunciation. And I would, I'd lay the uh, Pittsburgh on knowing that, but uh, they thought it was hilarious. And well, it's all sure. English. It, yeah. It, yeah, but it's also when the, when I was in Scotland, that I, there were a few Scots that I bumped into who I also could not understand. Yes. They were speaking yeah. English and I thought, I don't know what the hell they're saying. Nope. It's amazing. I, I'll, yeah, I'll get a couple speaking to each other, you know, one from the north and one from the south. And, and the, every once in a while, there'll be a Scots a Scot in there. And I, I won't hear a word. Of, I don't know. I know it's English. <laughs> no, it's I won't so know what, what they just said. <laughs> Interesting stuff. Thank yes. you. Sure, Thank Lynn. You, you stay safe. Huh? Okay. You too. Bye. Oh, yes. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. Hey, speaking of, you know, those Italian universities now saying they're going to teach in English, uh, Brie writes from Malaysia, uh, it's not just Italy, Lynn. <laughs> this is why I'm abroad, essentially. What? You, you teach English? Although I have given talk, although he says I have given talks in German. In one case, I was in northern Italy, where the dominant language was actually German. Oh my God, you're kidding me. I mean, I understand the geography would be the reason, but wow, it's where all those blonde Italians come from, right? Jeez. Well, my God, you guys, you, I love it. See what happened? See what happened when I started talking about something that was not like the news kind of thing? I just talked about learning English, people get more engaged. It's like 
the, uh, I don't know. I might never get back to doing the, the hard stuff. The hard stuff. I want to see if I, I mean, I see we're running out of time and I don't want to start something up that I might not be able to finish. Um, I just have to tell you that, I mean, I saw this headline and I sighed. Here's a headline. New Zealand approves paid leave for couples after miscarriage or stillbirth. We in this country can't even get paid leave for a, a woman after. I mean, come on. Are you kidding me? New Zealand gives both husbands and wives, gives spouses, they voted unanimously their parliament. Now, they've got people in that parliament on the, you know, political divide of whatever is the divide in New Zealand. They voted unanimously that it was the right thing to do, that if a couple suffered a miscarriage or a stillbirth, they should be given at least three days of paid leave. Now, employers there had already been required to provide paid leave in the event of a stillbirth. But this expands that to anyone who loses a pregnancy at any point. Again, it is hard to state just how uncaring our culture our government is to women, to children, and to families. We offer very, very little help. And part of that, I'll tie that in with the immigration ethic, the toughest strongest, most courageous people came to our shores. And that sense in America of being tough and of not needing any help, of how many people say, oh, my grandfather, and he didn't get any of this, and there was no that, he just, yeah. That ethic is so strong and so valued in our national narrative. And there's good things about that, obviously. But the other side of that coin is that it has made us a peculiarly, a almost unique country that just doesn't see the need to give people, its people, help. I don't know. These are huge, huge problems, hundreds of years in the making. And uh, after a while, it just settles into the, you know, the blood and the bone. And we we don't get it. The rest of the world pretty much gets it. We do not. Incredible. Okay, geez, I got a lot of stuff here. Do you know I have some of the stuff that last week after every show I said, geez, I got so much stuff here and I'm still carrying it over. And damn it, I'll get to it. By hook or by crook, little by little, I will. I, I promise you. Not that you give a damn. Okay, I think we done did it. And uh, 
enjoy the sun, if not the cold temperatures. Enjoy the sun, and I'll talk to you guys tomorrow, okay? Stay safe. Be well. Bye. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.